you need to pay attention. You're going to get a lot of golden nuggets. But if you do not follow along, you're going to miss it. Okay? There's going to be an impartation. You're never going to be the same. And we're going to have a little time for people to come up, for the Lord to minister. But don't come up unless the Lord is really prompting you because the Lord is just pointing out to something that He's not condemning you with. He just wants out of your life. That's all. I believe that this is a time in which the Lord is just... Uh, purifying and cleansing His church. Can you agree with me? Jesus is right at the door. He's coming. He's coming. And He says that He is coming back in chapter 19 of Revelation for a pure church without what? Spot and wrinkle. Wow. So, you know, when you come to these retreats and the Lord and His anointing is flowing and Pastor Christian Lee's ministry, you know, hey, listen, just, just, Collect all that you can because that's, that's your sanctification right there uh, for you uh, during these times. So if you just come and just, oh, it's another boring. Remember, remember, yesterday was a mighty, mighty outpouring. Uh, people got that ministered to. Bondages were broken. I tell you, I, just, I see it in people's faces this morning. This morning, uh, I got woken up at 4 o'clock. There was a nasty demon that came and just kind of harassed me. And I just got up and I just, just took him on. You know, I took him on. So I said, okay, you want to fight? You're going to lose. You know? <laughs> you know, it was a little intense, you know? And, uh, you know, the fear spirit is right there too. And, and, you know, but you hold your ground. There's a promise. Chapter 4, 6 of uh, James, right? Submit yourself to God. What does it say? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And he what? He's going to flee from you. Sometimes we think it's just like, in the name of Jesus, and he's got to flee. Sometimes there's a little battle that ensues right there and then. And sometimes the Lord will just have you, you know, in the name of Jesus, wrestle against that principality and power because God is sanctifying you. The name of this message for the New Philadelphia Church, Retreat 209 of Korea, uh, is called, How to Draw from God's Riches to be really rich. How to draw from God's riches to be really rich. What does it mean to be really rich with Jesus? That's a good topic, right? It's a real good topic. And we're going to go to the chapter 3 of Laodicea. The message of uh, it's from coming from the church to the Laodiceans. Chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. Just find it in your Bibles. Don't read it. We're going to do it together. We're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to take all that the Lord has for us today. Okay, we don't want to go empty-handed. All right, chapter uh, 3, verse 14 to 22. Chapter 3, the message of Laodicea. It's the last church in the seven churches uh, of uh, Revelation. Okay, but I need to give you some retrospective background. Okay, Revelation was written by a man called John. Not John the Baptist. He is the Apostle John. He is the Apostle that laid at the, at, the, at the breast of Jesus during the Last Supper and was the one that the Word of God says that He loved the Lord. The Lord loves Him. They had a unique relationship. Okay? And, and some of us are Johns in this place. Some of us have such a close relationship with God that when we come into His presence and we start in our relationship with Him daily, it's like we're coming and we're going like this on Jesus' shoulder. And it's beautiful because 
there are such things as today spiritual Johns. Okay? But here we are. Revelation, written by John. John was an elder ministering in a church, apostle of course, but he also had a title of elder, ministering in the church of Asia, okay, in the province of Ephesus. Okay, I'm going retros- retrospectively to the time of the emperor Domitian who ruled Rome, okay, and the known Roman world between 95 and 100 AD. Okay, so he is under this man that thinks that he is a god. They actually inscribed some coins, okay, portraying him to be God in the flesh. Okay, so then the mission meets this man, the Apostle John, okay, and he brings him and he summons him up and he says, you know what, I don't like you. I hear so many great things about you. That you lay hands on the sick and that miracles happen and that you speak about this man, Jesus. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get rid of you. And this is true. John was thrown into a pot of a cauldron of boiling hot oil. Okay? He was thrown alive in there. Okay? And you know what happened? He was in there and he didn't get burned. It didn't burn him. And that freaked out. Freaked everybody out. And they said, hey man, look, the guy you threw in there, he's swimming around in that pool bed in there. What's going on here? It's, you know, he should be like flesh and, and, and bones in there, just kind of fluttering around. And this guy is fine. So he gets him out and he says, you know what? I don't like you. You're weird. I, I don't want you near my presence. So I'm going to banish you to a penal colony called Patmos. So now... John finds himself in the island of Patmos. And right there and then, through all the struggles, through all the things that he'd gone, the Lord prepared him in his elderly time. A lot of us are saying, Lord, you haven't used me. Why don't you use me? Look, it took 30 years for Jesus to come. Okay? It took 40, how many years for Moses? 40 years. I'm sure he had a lot of time to think between the time he, got, he left Egypt, because he killed that Egyptian in the 40 years, to think that he didn't need to help God by killing that Egyptian and hiding him under the dirt. Right? So a lot of us, God has your calling and anointing and giftings. It's there. It's there. When you receive the Lord, He put everything into you. It just has to come out. But before that happens, the Lord is sharpening you. He's molding your character. He's developing you. Okay? And just like I said yesterday, He has found a perfect place to do that. And that's, of course, in his church, under authority. No one can prosper unless you're under authority. Okay, and it's good. Good to be under a godly pastor that I vouchsafe for because he was under my ministry. And boy, I tell you, out of all the ones that, that were around and heard me, this is the man that stood right next to me. And when he saw the signs and wonders and the gifts being released, he kind of like said, boy, this is freaky. But I, I, I whoa. I remember one time we were... Uh, ministering and uh, we I think we were talking about it uh, when over at his uh, uh, at his house that um, <clears throat> this guy came up for prayer and the Lord just boom the anointing comes listen once you're spirit baptized you can't stop the anointing he's, he's just the Lord is going to use you to minister to people where there's a need okay it's not like the the new age demonic gifts okay they're a they're a they're a, a counterfeit of the real they can some of that at will okay but 
the ministry gifts of the Holy Spirit can only be triggered when there is a need and they're totally under God's control. So you can't say, it's my gift. No, no. God allows that gifting to come out through you. So let us always be humble. Okay, yes, there are gifts that will manifest through you and they will operate through you. But yeah, but the operation is of the Holy Spirit. You know, so we're sitting and, uh, and this man just starts, uh, he starts talking to me and all of a sudden the Lord says, okay, Lord, what's up? Okay, tell him that he's got to let go of that unforgiveness. I think I shared this with you. Did I share this with you yesterday? And, uh, you know, I said, you got to let go of that unforgiveness with your father. You don't get along. He goes, what? What? How do you know that? Who told you that? You don't know me. And Christian is going, oh boy, what in the world is going on? How do we make sense out of this? It turned out we ministered to him. Christian, I told him, pray for his wife. Anointing comes upon him. Okay, he's like, okay, boom, and his wife starts to cry. She ended up confessing. That's what the gifts are for, that she was molested. Both of them were ministered to, and God got glorified that day. Amen. Going back to John. John here, okay, John here is going to write to the last church called Laodicea, okay? And there are seven churches, okay? And they say, now this is just theologian. This is... Not uh, me telling you the truth in the sense of this is it, where it said this is just theologians, different opinions. They say that the seven churches, okay, are just seven aspects of what the church looks like today. There's a church that's struggling with, with, uh, with Jezebel. There's a church that's struggling with, uh, um, uh, what do you call, uh, uh, not giving the Lord his first love, like the church of Ephesus. Okay, so the church that we're covering today, I'm not going to say what it struggles with, but it is of something that we can relate to today. Because the church is very blessed today. There is a lot of money, there's a lot of finances being poured onto the church today. And those that are receiving, are distributing, that are using the money that God is entrusting to you, that He will entrust to me, okay, we need to be careful that this money does not transform us into something that we shouldn't be. That's the message of Laodicea. But it's also a message that is meant to emancipate. So let's go right into the message right now. Let's go to chapter 3. And we're going to go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read and then I'm going to give you a breakdown of what the Lord has given me for you, okay? It says, verse 14, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Let's stop. Okay, what does he mean by that? There's so much information, so much spiritual truth in just the commencement and the introduction of how the Lord Jesus Christ is being portrayed symbolically here. He's the Amen. What does that mean? Jesus is the official establisher and sealer of all matters that deal with the kingdom of God. He is the official. See, that's what you do. When you pray, you are sealing your prayer with the blood of Jesus Christ and you are claiming a promise that is tied to His glory. Do you know that? That's pretty deep. 2 Corinthians, right? Two ten was it two 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 nine or two ten? It says um, one fourteen. Is it one fourteen? It says you know this verse in Second Corinthians. It's chapter one. It says for all the promises of God are what yes and what amen in who in Christ Jesus. Wow, all the promises 
for guidance, for protection, for blessing, for revelation, anything. It's there. It's there. All the promises. What is it that you need? It's there. All the promises of God in Christ are what? Yes and amen. Jesus is the official sealer and establisher of all matters. When you say amen, Jesus say, it is sealed and established. And I'm going to get all the glory when it's fulfilled. Just in the amen. Okay? Number two of that part. He is the faithful and the true witness. What does he mean by that? Jesus Christ is diligently looking at yours and mine development. Jesus is diligently looking at your and mine are developing in the Christian faith. Body, soul, and spirit. First Thessalonians 5.23 says what? May your what? Body, soul, and spirit be kept what? Blameless unto the what? Coming of the Lord. Okay, so Jesus is the faithful. He's the true witness. He is beholding diligently what you and I, how you and I are developing in the Christian realm in our relationship with Him, our dealings in, in the church. Okay, very important. He's the amen, the sealer, and the establisher of all matters. He is the faithful and true witness, beholding your progress to sanctify it all the body, soul, and spirit. But he's also called the beginning of the creation of God. And NIV says he's the ruler of the creation of God. The beginning of the creation of God. Jesus was never created. He always existed with the Father. Okay? What was created was his humanity. God didn't die on a cross. He doesn't die. God is spirit. It was the humanity of Jesus that died on the cross. But his spirit went to hell. And took those keys and came back. And he took those captives, the word of God says, and he gave gifts to you and to me. Praise the Lord. It's not wonderful. Right? So he's the beginning. What it means there, the beginning of the creation of God is that he is the source and the origin of all creation. He is the beginning and the source of all the glorified children of God. He is the firstborn from the dead. That means when he was raised from the dead, that means that's, we're following that pattern. Okay? We are following the fact that just as He was born from the dead, we're also going to be resurrected from the dead and be in our glorified, perfected bodies. Isn't that awesome? Can somebody shout hallelujah? hallelujah. Amen. So what is Jesus saying just as in His introduction? When you coalesce and add these three things, what is Jesus saying about Him being the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of, of the creation of God? He's, he's just saying that Jesus has established... Okay, from eternity past, that our total and expected progress will ultimately lead to our glorification and exaltation with Him. Isn't that powerful? Just in the introduction, He's saying, I've scheduled all this. I know you're going to make it. I know you're going to pull through. I know your progress because you love me. And I have scheduled you for glorification and exaltation at my throne. Isn't that great? What a tremendous, 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 powerful declaration of your destiny and mine. Right? Praise God. That's verse 14. Okay? There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in there we can get. Alright? Verse 15. Okay? It says this. Follow along with me. It says, I know your deeds. I have the NIV. Okay? I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Verse 15, very simple. Jesus 
reveals our place in the middle. And you know what? He is pressing. He's pressing for you and me to make a choice. He doesn't want you in the middle. He says, I, I love you, but I can't use you in the middle. It's either you're hot or you're cold. Right now, this is chapter 3. Let's just jump to chapter 22. What does it say? He who is what? Holy, let him still be holy. He who is righteous, let him still be righteous. He who is vile, let him still be vile. He who is dirty, whatever it is that, 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 that the context is saying, it's saying that in the last days, brothers and sisters, in the last days, your character and mine is going to be sealed. It's going to be sealed by the circumstances that the Lord is unleashing on an ungodly world. And you and I have a choice that you are developing right now to be with Christ and grow and develop with Him or to be in the middle and face consequences. Okay, that's verse 650. Let's go into verse 16. It says this, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Here in verse 16, Jesus calls our middle choice as lukewarmness. Okay? He's stressing that he will not tolerate worldliness and holiness together, mixed. Okay? You do not put oil and water together. They just don't mix. Okay? You rather have something pure, and that's what he's talking about. Listen, the mixture is like something like this. It's like saying, look, uh, what is your favorite food? Anybody? Come on. What is your favorite food? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Give me, give me an American translation, brother. <laughs> okay, burritos, right? Okay, suppose I say to you, listen, I'm going to give you this batch of burritos, your favorite, fresh, best ingredients, but you know what? I'm just going to put a little teeny piece of bacteria in there. It's not going to hurt you. It's going to be fine. And, you're gonna, and you say, what? Brother Michael, what are you on? NyQuil? <laughs> what are you on? Pills? What? I love that stuff, but it's just, it's going to make me throw up. Listen. Listen to what Jesus is saying, okay? Just like your stomach demands that whatever you put in there is pure and wholesome, so the Lord Jesus Christ demands that what goes into our spirit is pure and wholesome too, okay? So what he's saying is that he wants our relationship pure, pure. When we hide things, when we're meeting with Him and the Holy Spirit is there beckoning about different things and issues and we just hide and just go around through our Bible study and go on through our prayers. The Holy Spirit says, but listen, you did this yesterday. You said this yesterday and you acted like this. Okay? We're mixing worldly attitudes and hardness of heart with the holiness that He wants to develop in your heart and in mine. Is everybody listening to me? Okay? And he's, he, he, he wants none of that. He wants absolutely, he's not going to tolerate that. Alright, so if we're mixing worldly attitudes with God's Spirit, God has no choice, Jesus has no choice, but to vomit us unless, okay, we are pure and uncontaminated in our relationship with Him. Okay? Now you know that sinless perfection will not be attainable in this life. How do I know that? Is that biblical? Absolutely. We go to 1 John chapter 1. If any man says, I have not sinned, right? And you're not real. Because we all sin. 
Okay? The Word of God in 720 of Ecclesiastes. There's not a person who does not sin, okay, and does not commit. And we all do it. Okay? So the Word of God here is saying that it's about relationship. It's about what God is dealing with you and me. If we are developing in that relationship, then we're allowing all these things to clog us. Because the Word of God is not reaching the different parts that are getting dirty in our spirit. And we have no conviction. Because we're not going to the Word. And we're going to go, we're going to get a little deeper in that, okay? Let's go to verse 17. Let's go to verse 17. It says this. It says, You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Okay? Now let's just cover that right now. Okay? Now look and hear me out because a big part of the message is being released right now to you. Okay? <clears throat> what kind of worldly attitude is our Lord Jesus Christ rejecting that is causing the lukewarmness? Right? We need to examine that. What kind of worldly attitudes is Jesus Christ identifying okay, in the spirit realm that says, boy, I tell you, man, you're just like in the middle. Okay? Just, there's just some attitudes there that just, are just preventing you from being hot where I want you, okay, or cold where you're just part of the world. Okay? So he says, let's look at what that lukewarmness means. Okay, I broke it down. It says here in verse 17, I am rich. There is an attitude that brings down so many people in the world as well as in the Christian realm. What attitude is that? It's the attitude of arrogance and pride. Chapter 8.13 of Proverbs says that God hates arrogance and pride. He hates it. He wants no part of it. Because the main ingredient in heaven, an attitude that is primacy, is the opposite of pride. And that is what? It's humility. He loves His children when we're humble. You know, you've noticed that when there's like an altercation and you have a problem with somebody, that if you yell and scream, it doesn't get better. But if you soften yourself, there's like people kind of pick up on that tone and they kind of are able to open up to you. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? He's saying here, uh, I'm rich. Okay? It's arrogance. 8.13, God hates arrogance. He's calling for repentance. Repent of this arrogant expression that nobody sees, but God through his eye, that are like a flame of fire, the word of God says. They're flames of fire because they penetrate through your heart and mind and reveal the motives and intentions of our hearts. He sees it. You can't hide from it. You can't run away from it. It's there. And he says, I indict my church of arrogance. You're arrogant. Repent. And then the next part, he says, verse 17, he says, I'm rich. We covered that. Arrogance, right? I have acquired wealth. I have acquired wealth. You're saying, I have increased in goods. What sin is that? Okay, I'm rich, pride and arrogance. I have acquired wealth or I have goods. What is the sin that God is indicting the church of that? It is the sin of boasting. God's word says in 1 John chapter 2, Chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. If any man love the world and those things that are in the world, the love of the Father is not what? In them. 
Okay? He says, repent. You've got to let this arrogance and pride go. And there's no room for boasting in my kingdom. Verse 17, the last part, it says, and, and, and do not need a thing. Okay? Or, or the, 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 uh, the King James Version says, I have need of nothing. What is the sin that Jesus is indicting the church? Well, we have pride, we have arrogance, we have boasting. He says, I have need of nothing. He says, you have a spirit of self-sufficiency. And that means you're depending on yourself and forgetting my word that says, in Deuteronomy 8.18 that says what? When you have made your resource, I'm just paraphrasing, I'm just giving you the Michelangelo version here, version here. When you have made your money, right, and have acquired goods, okay, you will say that the Lord has given you power to make those goods. So God is saying, I indict you. I indict you of self-sufficiency, of an independent characteristic that denies or rejects being dependent upon the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. Is everybody keeping track with me here? Okay? Three indictments. What are they? Let's go at it. Come on, you're listening. What are they? They're what? They're arrogance, boasting, and what is? Self-sufficiency. Jesus says, repent. Repent. Okay? This is what they say. Okay? It's like the church is, is right there before Jesus says, and says these things, and Jesus says this in return. Listen to the latter half of verse 17. It says this. It says, But you do not realize that you are what? That you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The church here is boasting. Man, I'm rich. I have goods. I got my Rolex. I got my Cadillac. got my Mercedes. I'm making big bucks. Wow, I have goods. I have need of nothing. And Jesus saying, I got to tell you something. I look at, and I just don't look at the outward appearance. First Samuel chapter 15, God does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at your heart and mind. And this is what I see. You're wretched, you're pitiful, you're blind, you're poor, and you're naked. What an indictment. Whoa! But he has good counseling to take care of that. Okay, but let's just break this down a little bit. Listen, the basic indictment as you look at this deeper, okay? The indictment of the Lord is that the church, okay, is trying to find their segments of the church, not the whole church. Remember, there are parts of the church that are struggling with different things as you read the seven churches, okay? If, if, if they say, if the shoe fits, you wear it, okay? This might minister to you. I trust that it will. This is what the Lord gave me. Alright? So the Lord is saying that if you want to make a little bit deeper sense, okay, the church is trying to find meanings, purpose, and significance in material and temporary things. That's why he's indicting the church. If you really go deep into it, there's the material there. God says, I want none of that. I want none of that. So, so their spiritual poverty was betrayed by their arrogant, their boastful, and their self-sufficient declaration. I'm rich. I've acquired goods. I have need of nothing. Nothing. What does Jesus see, still in verse 17, what does Jesus see spiritually in this declaration? That they, the church, are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, 
Jesus is saying that material wealth is not a measuring rod, a measuring rod, a measuring rod, a measuring rod. Material wealth is not a measuring rod to prove acceptable spirituality. Does that make sense? Listen to me. Material wealth. And I'm just going to, you know, listen, just try, try, be a Burean, okay? Be a Burean, because I'm going to just keep giving you verses. I love the word, okay? And I, the Lord wants you to fall in love with his word, okay? It'll never, it'll never match up with what God wants in you and in me. Acceptable spirituality before God is to allow God to govern and direct your heart in faith, in humility, Hear me out. Acceptable spirituality before God is when you allow God to govern and direct your heart in faith, humility, and dependence upon Him. That's acceptable spirituality. When you see your position, when you start seeing your place, He's the Creator, we are the creation. There's a place of humility there. Whatever we receive, whatever is given to us, He wants us to be aware that it comes from Him and He rents, He desires the right attitude. When you have an attitude of a humble heart, faith, humility, and dependence on God, then you will see and use wealth in ways that glorify God. That's the only way. Unless we submit to God to govern and direct our hearts in faith, in humility, and dependence on Him, we are not going to appreciate the wealth that He releases upon our life, okay? So that we can use it in ways that glorify Him. But how do we do that? That's a good question, right? How do we do that? Jesus has the best counselor. Jesus has the best counselor. Alright? You want to check it out? Let's go to verse 18, Okay? Let's read together. It says, I'll read it right here. You follow along. It says, I counsel you. Okay, now let's listen. Listen carefully. Okay? He's already indicted the church. Okay? They see themselves as what he sees them this way. Okay? He expresses what he thinks. And now he says, I'm going to give you the solution to your problem. There is a solution. The Holy Spirit has the answer to every problem that you and I could ever or are ever going to face and battle with. And certainly, he's got a solution for this situation. Okay? And it's found in chapter 18. It says, I counsel you, follow along with me, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Let's pause. What is the gold refined in the fire? Now, you and I read Revelation. It's my favorite book. I love Revelation. I just love Revelation. You know, everybody has their own way of doing their devotional, okay? I like to pick about three, four books from the Old Testament, and then I'll read three books from the New Testament. Every day, I'll spend my time with the Lord. I, this is just between me. He knows the time frame that I spend in prayer and in Bible study. Praise His holy name. But by the time I'm done with one book, I'm done with two, three, or four because I'm reading one chapter a day. I always read a chapter of Revelation. Why? Because there's a promise that you and I can claim. Right? Verse 3. If any, right? Blessed is he who hears. Right? Right? Who listen. 
to the prophecy. You know that verse, verse 3, right? It says, when we hear and listen to the prophecy of the book, God is going to bless you. Okay? When you take to heart the things that are written on there, that means you're taking a heart because you're making time for the Lord. He says, I'm going to bless you. It's the only book that comes with that promise. So I want that promise. I claim that promise. I glorify Him. Okay? He says, I'll counsel you to buy from me gold. Would you like to know what this gold refined in the fire is? I mean, look, you, we, you read through Revelations and you read through it, but you really, you know, very few of us will go into a commentary here and there. We'll just read right through. But it's good to know what this gold refined in the fire is. Would you like to know? Raise your hand. Amen. Go to Isaiah 55 right now. When you have it, say amen. Isaiah 55. First, we're going to see what the word buy means. What does Jesus mean when he says, I counsel you to buy? Let's pause right there. We have the answer in Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2. Follow along with me. It says this. Please just follow along with me. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Now, it's not talking about physical thirst. It's talking about spiritual thirst, okay? And you who have no money, what does it say? Come what? Come and buy. Wow. Buy. We're going to find out what. What? Come buy and eat. Come. He says it again. Come buy wine and milk. We're going to find out what that means in a little bit. Without money, without cost. This is the way you're going to buy. Number one. You're going to buy, you read it right there, it's right in front of you. You're going to come, you're going to buy by first coming to the Lord. Okay, that's the first step in the process of buying. You're coming, He's summoning you to Him to come. Okay, that's the first step. Okay, look at verse 2. It says, list, it says Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Here is the second part of the buying. Listen! Listen to me. And what? And eat what is good. Spiritual food. Hmm. Right? And your soul will delight in the riches of fair. Right there and there. What is, it, what is he talking about? We can't forget about the wine and the milk. Second Peter 2.2. 2. He says, what? The wine is likened to the what? To the word of God. Word of God is like milk. And what did Jesus say about the gospel message? He says that wine is not put in old what? Wineskins. Because if you do, what happens? They'll go boop, 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 boop. They'll burst. What is he saying by that? Well, the wine is the representation, symbolical representation of the gospel message that he's bringing to the people. Okay? The gospel message has to be put in clean hearts, in acceptable hearts, in hearts that are open, hearts that are not clogged with tradition, with routines, with rules and regulations like the Pharisees had. So he says, my gospel has to go into hearts that are open and willing to listen and receive. That's the wine. Okay? So the wine is a symbol for the gospel message and the milk is a symbol for the word of God. He says, come! Come, buy, right? He says, and listen, 
So what does he mean by buying? He wants you to just to come and listen. Okay? Is everybody keeping up with me? Good. Alright. So, we buy this gold, like I said, by coming to God. We buy from Him by coming to God and listening to Him. Okay? He says that if we come to Him and listen, what will happen in the last part of verse 2? It says, And your soul, if you come to Him and listen, And your soul will what? Will delight in the riches. The riches of Have you ever had a banquet? Where you have all this food that you're just like, oh my God, this is a dream come true. There's everything. There's pizza. There's mashed potatoes. And you just, oh, by the end of the day, you're like, <laughs> right? You get a little belly, right? Right? And you're just like, wow, that was good. He says that he wants you to come and buy. He says, come. Come and listen. I guarantee the Lord Jesus Christ says that this is going to be the best meal you ever had. You can have it every day. Isn't that awesome? Give me five. Yes! Yes! Now for the gold, right? How do you buy? By coming to Him and listening. Right? Listen, you know, you know that He's pointing to none other than relationship. He's focusing on your relationship with Him. That's it. Watch, little by little, he begins to open up your eyes and he's going to just refocus you on relating to him. What does the gold mean and what is refining the fire? We know what buy means, now we've got to find out what the gold is and what does it mean that this gold is refining the fire? It's important that we know, right? Okay, the gold is none other than your faith. Go to First Peter right now. Go to First Peter. Leave, leave, leave room in there. Don't, don't lose uh, where we are. Put like a piece of paper there. Go to First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. For the gold, okay? Listen to what the Word of God says. It says this. It says this. Let's start with verse 6 and 7. It says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials, these, what? Griefs, the testings, the trials, these have come so that your what? Say it. That your faith Greater worth than what? Gold, which perishes, even though refined in the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The gold is a symbol for the precious faith that God wants to instill in your heart. But it starts with coming to Him and listening. Listening what? His word. Because in his word, you will find always the riches of fair. So then he goes into the next part. Okay? Remember also, right? Is this right? It says, faith, your faith. And how does faith come? 1017. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. Okay? So he wants to develop 
He wants to give. Now remember, salvation, faith, and repentance are all gifts of God. You can't generate that. God has to give that to you. That's why we can't be proud because it'll cut that. It's the humility that releases that, that faith. Okay? Nobody that has ever come into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ has ever been a proud person. He's got to be humble. That's why God releases the faith right there and saves them. Is everybody listening to me? Very important. Okay, is this making sense, folks? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord Jesus a clap. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We welcome you. Hallelujah. Jesus. Now we have Dubai. Down pat, and we have the gold. It's your faith that God wants to create in you, but it's not just your, re- it's not your regular faith. It's a, it's a unique faith that is going to what? This faith is going to be what? Refine in the fire. Okay? Now we need to talk about what this refine in the fire means. Okay? So, so what is Jesus saying by counting us to buy gold? Refine in the fire. He's saying, like I said to you, come to me. And as you do, you will be buying by listening to my word. So that he can what? So that he can give you a faith. The faith is developed. You cannot develop the faith that is going to bring you through some tough times, okay? Unless you're in the word of God. Okay? He's got to give you that faith. But that faith won't develop unless you make time for God. That's just the discipline. When I became born again, listen, I went through trials and testings. I backslid, but I always went back to the Word. Because if it wasn't for the Word, I would have no map to get back on track where I need to be. So God wants to give you a faith, the gold, that's going to be refined in the fire. Okay? Now this faith that God wants to give you, will be able to endure all kinds of testings and trial so that you can be truly be rich spiritually. Now I gotta explain that. I gotta explain that. It gets much deeper than that. Okay? This goal, your faith, that God wants to create, okay, as you go to the Word and develop it through relationship by coming and listening to Him and having the greatest fear. Okay? That's what's going to make you spiritually rich. Okay, now listen to me. Whether you have little or nothing, you will be rich. You will be a millionaire. Because your focus is not on the temporary, it's on the eternal. Paul said, he says, I am poor. He said, how can the apostle actually says that? But he actually does. He says, I'm poor. I've learned to live in certain things. A lot of times he was a tent maker. But times he didn't have. The assaults of the devil of Satan were so hard on his life that everywhere again he was buffeted by the enemy to keep him humble, to keep him dependent. And we're going to touch a little bit on that. Okay? But let's just go deeper and deeper to see what this means. Okay? Now listen to me here. Jesus did stress to the church in Smyrna. Now go back to Revelation. Go back to Revelation. Okay. Are you in chapter 2? 3? Say yes. yes. Go to chapter 2. Just to clear about this spiritual richness. Chapter 2 verse 9. Okay. He did say to, this, to the church in Smyrna in chapter 2 verse 9. That even though they were physically poor. They were what? 
They were rich. So you know he's not talking about physical richness. Because they have nothing. Because I know you're poor, physically speaking. But what does he say? What does James chapter 2 says? Don't you know that God has given the kingdom to the what? To the poor. To the poor. So in this case, back to chapter 2, 9 of Revelation, he's talking about the materially, physically poor, but they are rich. Why does Jesus call them, know the church, he says to Smyrna, that they are rich. What made them rich? Would you like to know? Would you like to know what made this church rich? Oh my God. Hallelujah. This is a lot of meat, isn't it? A lot of meat. Glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And listen. Listen here. Okay? Listen here. Why? Why were they rich before God? Because they had a a faith. Because they had a faith. Because they had a faith that was tested in the fire of trials, tribulations. Am I telling you the truth? Look at verse 10, chapter 2. What does verse 10 say? What does it say? Look what it says, chapter 2, verse 10. It says what? What does it say? It says, do not be afraid of what you are about to what? Suffer. Suffer. Is that, am, I, am I in the right place? Yes, I am. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. What does he say? Ten days. Be what? Faithful even to what? The point of death. And I will give you a crown of life. You tell me if these people were not put under the crucible of testing. That's severe persecution. And you and I whine and complain for different things. And these people, I mean, can everybody, is everybody listening here? Okay, these people were put in prison. They were beaten. They were persecuted. And the Lord says, just, just hold your ground. Hold your ground. Because the devil says, you know what? I don't think he's the, the real thing. I don't think he's really real. How about if you put him in the oven a little bit and turn it up to 500 degrees? See if he doesn't go, Chips! They chose to stay there. And what happens? What did that fire, suffering, those trials and temptations do? What do they do? They refined the gold! They refined their faith! That's why he's able to say in the verse before that, I know you're poor, but you possess everything. You're rich! You're a millionaire! Because the devil is going, oh my God, he should be giving up now. He should be giving up. He should say it's enough. And he's saying, Lord Jesus, I bless you. I glorify you. I give you honor. I give you praise. And the Lord Jesus says, that's my boy. That's my girl. What do you think, Satan? Huh? And he puts his, his tail underneath and he goes, I got to go to somewhere else. <laughs> Listen up. This is talking about spiritual riches here, brothers and sisters. It is testings and trials 
that adds spiritual life, that adds spiritual richness to your life and mine. Why? Why do testing and trials add spiritual richness to your life and mine? Because they make you depend on God. They make you run to Him. That's where the Lord sees, does he really, does she really believe? Does she? And God is saying, I want to make you gold. I want the gold. I want that faith that's so precious that when I put you in the fire, hallelujah, in the fires of testings and trials, just going to make you better. Spiritual riches is evidence. Listen, listen to me now. Let's take it a little deeper, right? Spiritual riches is evidenced in allowing God to mold your character. Let me repeat it again. Spiritual richness is evidence in allowing God to mold your character in whatever situation He chooses. That's why it's so good to have your time of prayer. That's why it's so good to have your time with the Lord. It's relationship. Okay? By this, all men will know that you're my disciple. He says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you have love with one another, everybody knows that. But he says in John 17, 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You can't know anybody unless you have a relationship with Him, much less God. Well, I tell you, when I get up in the morning, I long to be with the Lord. I said, Jesus, I want you to speak to me. I want you to speak to me or I die. You better get ready. He'll knock your socks off. He'll knock your socks off. Jesus, Jesus just doesn't want you to know Him, Okay? When Adam and Eve fell, we lost our place in the relationship with God. But he established it. It says that God had to kill innocent little animals and put skins on Adam and Eve in order to cover their offenses, to cover over their sin. They wanted to keep the leaf, the leaves, right? He says, Lord, we hid. Sin causes fear. We hid. Because we heard you coming. And the Lord says, and we were naked. He says, oh boy, who told you that you were naked? Listen, isn't it true that whenever we do wrong, we always want to cover it up with something that we do? Isn't it true? That's a leaf! God doesn't accept that leaf. The gospel preached already. He says, and God took skins of animals and Cover them. Prefigurations already of the one and the once and for all sacrifice that Jesus Christ would do on the cross with those skins on them. Jesus is already being proclaimed and prefigured, symbolized in those skins that God gave them. Naturally, he had to kill them. Naturally, the blood had to spill. But what did he do? He covered over their shame. Sin. Deep, right? Pretty deep. Turn to John 8.55. 
Hold on there. Don't lose that page. Turn to John 8.55. John 8.55. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. See, Jesus just doesn't want you to know Him. Okay? Look what He wants to do. One step of knowing Him. It says this. Though you do not know Him, I know Him. And if I said that I did not, I would be a liar like you. But look what right knowledge does. But I do know Him, and what? Keep His what? His Word. Your relationship should just not lead you to read the Bible and say, Lord, look, I read, you got to bless me. Look, Lord, it's like a spiritual exercise that we think we do and say, Lord, magically, give me a whammy. Give me a spiritual whammy. Oh! It just doesn't work like that. It doesn't work. It'll never do. Your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as He draws you into His presence, do you long to be with Jesus? Do you long? He's so sweet. He's so wonderful. He says that he knows him and that he keeps his word. But that's for you. Your knowledge, Jesus' knowledge of the Father, let him to keep his word. God doesn't just want you to know him. He wants you to obey him. But you can't obey him unless you make time to know him. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Praise the Lord. Amen. You want to buy that gold refined in the fire? You want to buy that gold refined in the fire? Make time for God's Word daily. Make time for Him. This is a challenge for you, right? Make time for God's Word daily. That's how you come to Him and listen to Him. Read His Word. Read His Word so that the gold, that precious faith that He wants to create in your spirit will be able to understand but also withstand when the refining fires of trials and testings are upon you and your heart is revealed to see how sincere and true it is for the one purpose of revealing if you are depending on yourself or you're depending on God. That's deep. That's the, that's, that's the nature of the trial and the testing. In whatever me, I'm in a financial trial myself. Okay, I got something to confess to you tonight. I'll wait for it tonight. I'm not giving up. My wife was like Sarah. Hey, Abraham, we don't have any children. I can't wait for the promise of God. I'm going to be talking about that tonight. She goes, here, take my, take my maidservant. Have a child with her. What a, what a problem we have in the Middle East because of that, right? That was a terrible mistake. What happens? What did Jesus Christ said? about those that are depending on self and not depending on on God. It says in chapter 7, verse 24, you don't have to turn there, verse 24 and 27, you know the parable of the wise and foolish builder. One built on the sand, the other one built on the rock, right? When we build on the sand, we are building on our own self-sufficiency. We are building from a point view that has nothing to do with God. We're on our own. And... The flood, the testings, the trials, the storms, they're coming. You can't stop them. They have to come. 
They have to come. But the ones, it says, who were built on the rock. It says, those that built their house on the rock. The ones who founded their house on the rock. And that cry, that rock is Jesus. That rock is Jesus. His word, His way, His will. And the result of that, the anointing, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit to set you free and to set free others. Praise God. He just doesn't want you free, folks. You can't just say, oh God, I feel like a million bucks. Hallelujah. Now Jesus says, wonderful. Now you see that guy over there? Though? I want you to go and do the same with him. It's wonderful, isn't it? Let's go to verse 18, back to chapter 3. We're almost finished. Chapter 3, verse 18. So what is Jesus Christ here uh, is telling the church to do? Still part of verse 18, right? Right, we found out what the gold is, how to buy, what the gold refined in the fire is, so we can become rich. Now he says that he wants you to get white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. What is this white clothes? Alright? This white clothes and this raiment to wear so you can cover your shamefulness. What are these white clothes? Romans thirteen fourteen says... That we are to clothe ourselves with who? With the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Daily. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that. When you clothe yourself. Going back to the same place. When you have consistent discipline. Not because, oh my God. Oh, it's. Six o'clock, and I haven't had my relationship. Oh God, I feel so guilty. I feel condemned. Oh Lord, don't give me a whammy. It doesn't work like that. He just wants you to come because you love Him. And what is God's record of love? The cross. While you and I were yet sinners, Christ for me. That's beautiful, isn't it? White clothes. Matthew twenty-two, eleven and 12 says that those who come into God's kingdom who do not have wedding clothes were cast aside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Once again, the issue here is wedding clothes, right? Clothe yourself with Christ's righteousness, right? With Christ. Clothe on, put on yourself Jesus Christ. When you do that, you're covering your shamefulness. But that happens in your relationship with God. How? As He begins to touch, convict, challenge you, cleanse you, convict you of sin, as He gives you strength and grace to overcome trials and testings and circumstances. It all goes, it all goes back to relationship, folk. Relationship. Relationship. Solid, substantial relationship. Like a rock! Like a rock! Unmovable. Jesus. Revelation 19.8 says that at Christ's second coming, His church has on them what? Fine linen, white and clean. Which stands for what? 
for the righteous acts of the saints. Hear me out. The white clothes are none other than the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That is being lived out in our lives as we reject sin and live lives that are pleasing to God. In chapter 829, Jesus says, For I always do those things that please Him. You know that you can always do things to please Him even when you mess up? You know why? Because you can always go back to Him and to the people by the power of God's grace and say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. That's harder to do. It isn't it? It's hard. But you know what? Never impossible. There will never be an excuse in heaven because God's Spirit is in your heart. He's there. You just got to hear His prompting. Just listen. He'll do it. You just got to listen. You got to have your time with the Lord. That's where He speaks. Okay? Listen here. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, which also acts as a continual covering for our sin and shamefulness. I wrote here, these white garments are also spiritual dress. Listen here. These white garments, the Lord Jesus Christ, when you put Him on, when you have your time with God, so He can touch you, convict you, touch you, convict you, challenge you, fill you with His presence, ready you, instill His grace, His power to overcome. What happens? At the same time, God is putting on the righteousness of Jesus, the wedding clothes, but the spiritual dress that identifies you in the spirit realm as a permanent citizen of God's kingdom as well as His invited guests at the wedding banquet when He comes back in great glory and power. Can somebody say Amen? Amen! We work works of righteousness because we are clothed with God's righteousness. Did you hear that? You are able to, God is able to accept the good things that you do, not because you're trying to win brownie points or you're trying to win salvation. He's given that to you as a gift. The result of your faith, because of His righteousness, now you are able to do acceptable works of service, righteousness, because of Him. Giving you an impetus, an anointing, power to do that, but do it in a way because your heart is in relationship with Him and right so that He can accept that work of righteousness. That's deep, right? Praise the Lord. We're almost done. Still part of verse 18, and He says, And solve, follow along verse 18, the last part of verse 18, right? White clothes to cover your shameful nakedness. We know that's the righteousness of Jesus when we have relationship with Him and make time with Him. And solve to put on your eyes so you can see. What is this solve, folks? What is this solve? Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you are able to see. What is this eye salve? Would you like to know? Absolutely. Jesus said in 939 of John, For judgment He has come into this world that the blind will see and those that see what will become what? Blind. This is nothing short of pointing to the cleansing power and presence of the Holy Spirit as you let Him take that veil off 
and cleanse you so that you can see. Okay? Hear me out. Follow me very carefully. See clearly what? God wants you to see. Now notice, follow along with me, right? Follow along with me. He wants you to buy the gold. Buy the gold. Refine in the fire. The white clothes. Now, what is the outcome of all that? Of what? Of buying the gold, being refined in the fire, and the white clothes. Here is the punchline. Here's what the Holy Spirit wants to anoint you with the eyes of and allow you to see. Nothing more than God's plan and ultimate purpose for overcoming the spiritual poverty that He's indicting the church that we're just talking about. What poverty? The arrogance! The boasting! The self-sufficiency. He's saying, look! I can't see, Lord. Where? Where is the arrogance? Lord, where is, where is, oh God, where is the boasting? Where? Where is it? Where is the self-sufficiency? And the Lord says, look. Because you went and you bought the gold. It's being refined in the fire. The white clothes immediately is put on you because you're, you're buying that gold. He's putting on his righteousness. The white clothes. And now he's saying to you, and he's saying, wow, now I see. Now I see. God is enabling the Christian to be an overcomer. That's what the whole thing is all about. He wants you to be an overcomer. And to sit with Christ in his throne to reign and rule now. God doesn't want you to reign and rule back then. He wants you to rule now. Do you know that you are a priest and king? Now in his kingdom, you're ruling with Christ. If you're submitted to him and to his lordship, that you are reigning with him now spiritually. Spiritually. But you're also going to reign when he comes back physically. See, the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality now. It's a kingdom which men are entering today by faith. Okay? And that kingdom, it's a secret kingdom. It's in your heart, Jesus said in chapter 17 of of Luke. The only expressing that people get to see of that kingdom is when you and I manifest the character of Jesus Christ. When you show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, godliness, brotherly kindness, perseverance. That's when people say, wow, that's not, that's different than the world. That's God's kingdom! That's the manifestation of the character of Jesus! He says, I've made you a ruler, a king, and a priest now, spiritually. The kingdom of God is a kingdom in which men are entering today, spiritually, by faith in Christ, but we'll also enter tomorrow, physically, when Jesus Christ comes back and brings the physical kingdom. Verse 19, and let's almost finish up here. Verse 19. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Okay? Unless we heed Jesus' counsel, he has no choice but to apply his rebuke and his chastening. Listen. Listen to his warning before this happens. Repent of what? Of the arrogance, of the boastfulness, of the self-sufficiency. Look what he says. He pleads again. He pleads again in verse 20. Let's all read it together. Let's all read it together. Let's read it out loud. Let's read it. But you know why? I'll tell you why we're going to read it together. Because you and I use this. 
You and I use this to talk to people. I use it all the time. But this is for the church. This is for the church. Listen, Jesus, once again, He wants to bring it to a punchline. He says, how can I bring it to a punchline and bring a climax? He goes as this. Let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What does he want to talk about? Would you like to know? What does verse 16 say? What is ver- same chapter. What does verse 16 say? About what? Because we're what? He wants to talk about our what? Our lukewarmness. Don't mix. He says, I don't want you to mix the godly with the worldly. I want a pure church. I want a clean church. I want a church that is in passionate relationship with me. Jesus says, oh my God, oh my God. Verse 21, he says this to end it. To him who overcomes, you already know what he's wanting you to overcome. We, we already cleared it. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our ears should be diligently listening to what the Holy Spirit says to the universal church in which these truths might be, must be applied in these latter days. Hallelujah. Please stand up. Pastor Christian, please come up. Oh my God, He is here. The Lord Jesus is here. Oh, 